0: Visit iConnections.io. SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC.
1: Welcome to the Monday edition of On The Tape. I'm Dan Nathan. I'm joined by Guy Adami. Guy, welcome.
0: What is happening on this Monday? You know what? It's a busier day than the pre-market indications would appear, Dan Nathan. It it,
1: it is. And we don't have Liz Young. That would be EY from SoFi to help us figure it all out. She's on vacation this week. I think she will be back with us next week, Guy. But we do have a little housekeeping here before we get to the markets here. Our friend Amanda Diaz just was in my ear, said this is the 200th edition of the On The Tape podcast. What do you think of that? What do you think of that? Big round
0: number. That's a big round number. To hunch. What do they say 200. when, what do they say if you agree with something, when somebody types you something, what do they, what do you say? Don't people say like 100 or something? 100. Yeah. 100 emoji. There you go. Well, we're at 200.
1: We're at 200 emoji here,
0: Which is but we also better. have
1: a big week. Okay. This week we have a special drop of okay computer. That is one of our other fine podcasts. We have Dan Niles is going to be joining me. We're going to take stock of Q2 earnings and what he's seeing for the balance of the year. Dan is a legendary tech investor. So tune in for that. Also, we have on the back half of that pod, a conversation with Stuart Sop. He is the CEO and co-founder of Current. And we also have Joe Marchese, who is the CEO of Human Ventures, who is also an investor in Current. And so two close friends of ours. We're going to get a, a kind of sense of what's going on in fintech there and the VC land. And then on Thursday, we have a bonus edition guy of On the Tape with Karen Feinerman. She is our co-host and panelist on the Fast Money program, CNBC, 5 o'clock. It's not even done. And then on There's Friday- more- We have Peter Bookvar is going to be joining you, Danny Moses, and me for our... Friday drop of on the tape. So just we got a man, lot. Oh,
0: man. That's before, can I tell you something? For mid-August, that is a lot going on. Yeah, a lot it, going on.
1: It, it is a lot going on. But let's talk about mid-August here in, in the markets. And we've had the S&P come off a little bit, the NASDAQ come off a bit. Some of the hottest names since Q2 earnings in the AI trade have come off pretty meaningfully. We're going to talk about some of the moves that we've seen there. But I think you started talking about this about a month ago. And you were saying to the folks, don't at me if I'm off by a year or so you were saying do you remember in august or of 15 or 16 when china devalued the yuan and there were some growth scares and there was and it was 15 guy but there was also some growth scares global growth scares in 14 there was a lot of like market palpitations here in the US based on what was going on overseas specifically in china and it was august of 2015 where we saw the S&P drop 12% it, felt like a straight line guy because of basically the weakness in the wand and the growth scares and what they were willing to do and what were there going to be basically the ripple effects in the U.S., which was still basically, and the the West in general, right? It was a rolling credit crisis after our and what was going on in Europe. Talk to me about what you think is going on there because I'm going to read off to you a bunch of headlines that are basically all over the U.S. news this weekend. This is one from Bloomberg, China finance, giants, miss payments, alarm regulators. This is going on from finance companies, commercial real estate companies. Here's one from the wall street journal. China's worsening economy is hurting corporate America. Chinese country garden seeks to delay onshore bond repayments. This is from Reuters here. This is dominating the headlines in this August of 2023.
0: What's interesting is in August of 2015, so literally eight years ago, almost to the day, the S and P 500, was making an all-time high. I want to say either side of 2100. Everything seemed to be all systems go. There were no problems, nothing on the horizon. This had been something that was bubbling up. The whole China situation, the devalue of the yuan, and the S&P 500 went from 2100 down to about 1800 or so by February of obviously 2016. You can do the math, you did it for us before. Fast forward and the same headlines are coming out. The yuan, very quietly, nobody's talking about it, has been being devalued and obviously the growth concerns there are significant. More so now because of the multiplier effect. Things are just that much bigger 8 years later. So The fact that only now the media seems to be talking about this, I guess it's important as they say, but man, they are late to the dance. Now, I think the market's going to start to pick up on it as well. And then you layer in Japan, something that obviously you've talked about, Danny Moses and I have talked about. As a matter of fact, our podcast on the tape a few weeks ago was titled Turning Japanese. Things are going on there as well with dollar yen weakening, the yen weakening against the dollar. And their interest rates going markedly higher on the back of inflation concerns. So a lot to be talking about here on this Monday, Dan.
1: We've been talking about this kind of debt bubble for a while. And there's a lot of folks a lot smarter than us in China who've been talking about this for seemingly a decade. And so sooner or later, the chickens have to come home to roost. And Country Garden, again, this is one that's interesting this is from the Reuters article China's largest property private developer seeking to delay payment on a private onshore bond for the first time, a source said, after suspending uh, trading in 11 onshore bonds, sending its shares plunging to a record low on Monday. Okay, so we know that there's been this property bubble, and it seems like these are some of the early signs of it coming undone. But this one was interesting. This was the Bloomberg article that I just mentioned, and I might be mispronouncing it Zonghai Enterprise Group, a secretive financial conglomerate that manages about 1 trillion yuan, about $138 billion surged to the fore after several of his corporate clients disclosed overdue payments by a trust unit. And we'll put all these articles in the show notes. So again, what have we been talking about here, what are the knock-on effects from basically the regional banking crisis? There's worries that there'll be a credit event related to the corporate side, but also commercial real estate in particular. And it seems like these are, as the article just said, coming to the fore right now in China, Guy. And the last one, and this is where I'd love for you to riff on this a little bit, China's worsening economy is hurting corporate America. Companies embedded in China's ailing manufacturing, construction, and export industries are reporting weaker sales. So what was the old expression here? when china has a cold right or something like that what that means for the rest of the world here it seems to be all happening but our markets are not paying particular attention to
0: it, happening at breakneck pace as well so obviously again people are starting to pick up on this and things are happening extraordinarily quickly one of the things that we've been saying i think people are discounting saying a weakening economy in china makes it more difficult for them or less likely for them to do something in taiwan i understand that way of thinking my point all along has been actually, I think, quite the opposite. And President Biden, I think, said last week that a wounded China is likely to do some scary things. I'm paraphrasing it, but I'll get that story. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And I agree. Now, you go back to 1930s and the U.S. was in dire straits and one of the ways that we got out of it, obviously, was World War II. I'm not suggesting we're on the brink of World War III. I think to discount the fact that China's about to do something in Taiwan based on the weakness, I think is foolish.
1: And it's ironic in a way, or maybe it's not ironic. The Biden administration has been really like tough with China here. And so there was a Reuters article. We know this funds fret over the fallout of Biden's China order. Fund managers are worried the Biden administration's move to restrict some outbound U.S. investment to China will further fuel anti-Beijing sentiment in Washington, prompt more limitations the executive order regulates U.S. investments in China in sensitive technologies investors, advisors and an administration official said it tailored around national security and reflects months of consultations with industry and other stakeholders and this goes back to NVIDIA guy when we've seen the weakness there and we've been talking about this and w- when they gave that guidance and again they're going to report next week August 23rd when they gave that guidance okay in late May 4 billion over the 7 billion consensus for the current quarter for their largely fueled by their advanced chips okay that stock surge from what? 3.06. It closed the next day at 3.90. It got as high last month, guy, as 4.80. And here we are. We're down at 4.05. This is the pre-market. We're recording this right before the market opens here on Monday morning. So we've now gone from a high of 4.80 to 4.05. There is a massive gap to be filled. And I've been saying this for a while. I think that these bands have caused double and triple ordering. And a lot of these graphic chips probably found their way into the gray markets, okay, so that Chinese companies that were restricted from ordering directly from nvidia you're seeing other companies were doing this ordering if this were to basically abate a bit in the guidance that this company gives that stock's going back to 350 and there is a massive gap down to 300 and this was the first new trillion dollar entrant to the s&p and the nasdaq since tesla in late 2021 and don't forget man that stock sold off 75 percent from north of one trillion dollars this could happen again. We've been talking about the valuation here and the unsustainability of an unabated run in a stock like this, pushing valuation and given some very weird dynamics, given like these Chinese bands and everything like that. So we're trying to bring it back to the US market here in a way that there are single names that actually have outsized, I believe, effects in their sectors and the broad market here. And this could be a knock on
0: effect. Ten months ago, you couldn't give NVIDIA away. Literally, everybody hated the stock. And for the prior few months in that, it was the right thing to do. Obviously, the move we've seen subsequent, everybody's a fan now. But first of all, NVIDIA has missed before. You've seen on the back of earnings a 25 30% declines in the stock, number one. Number two, valuation makes no sense. And number three, NVIDIA themselves said that if something were to happen with Taiwan, it would be catastrophic. I'm paraphrasing, but they mentioned that about a month and a half or two months ago. Couple with that, some semi-firms that have said, listen, we get the whole AI thing, we're just not seeing that demand to justified some of the valuations. So be careful here into the twenty third and Nvidia because you're right that three fifty level sticks out like a sore thumb.
1: Yeah, I'll d- and we're going to spend some more time on this next week a little bit, and I'm going to get Dan Niles' take on this on the OK Computer Pod. That all that being said, guy, if this stock was back towards three sixty prior to its earnings, I think you're going to see a lot of folks, and that was the gap level right from late May after they gave that guidance. I think you're going to see a lot of folks down twenty percent from its recent highs. Another shot on the long side because again that would be epic support and would probably be a reasonable check back. We'll get Carter Braxton Worth's take on that also this week on Market Call. So tune into that every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. You didn't mention it by name, but I think you're referring to Taiwan Semi and the guidance that they gave. And they said basically the interest in advanced chips for AI are not basically taking up the slack that they're seeing in other end markets, which is industrial and automotive and data center and PCs and, and the like here. And it's interesting interesting. interesting guy that Taiwan Semi has come down, it made a high of 110 in mid-June or so, and now trading very near 90 bucks, filling in that gap from May when it gapped up in sympathy with NVIDIA. So the semi-sector, to me, remains a very, I I think, prescriptive, if you will, for the broader market. They tend to be cyclical, but they've also been very wrapped up in this kind of AI frenzy. And we've been calling it out. Listen, you and I were early by saying, we can't tell you how high these stocks are going to go based on this frenzy. We know how it's going to end, and we know how, and I don't mean the end, but the froth has to come out. And it appears to be coming out right now.
0: By the way, that this matters all that much, but you still have this massive double top in Taiwan Semi from February of 2021, basically $141 or so. And then again, in February of 2022, same level. And we didn't come even close to approaching those levels this last move higher in mid-July, early July or so. And you're right, that move from sort of 108 to 92 has been precipitous. And who's to say that six? half level from the fall of last year isn't in the cards. And by the way, in NVIDIA, 330-ish, I think, was a prior all-time high from November of last year. So again, that seems to make logical sense to do the back and fill and take a retest at that prior all-time high. Obviously, none of this would be particularly good for specifically the NASDAQ, but then more broadly, the broader market as well.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I'll just mention this, that you mentioned that double top. If you look at the SMH ETF that tracks the semiconductor index, you know, 30% of that is NVIDIA's is nearly 20%. And Taiwan Semi's like 11% or something like that. And that is the most epic double top. We just topped out at 160. It tried getting through in July, tried getting through there early this month. Here we are down at 145. So we've had a very quick 10% pullback here. I think there's a gap filled down to probably below 140 or so. And again, if you believe in these secular shifts, which I think you and I both do, we're not poo-pooing the technology and the interest that we're going to see. But ultimately, it was too far, too fast. And some of these things, when you have these kind of unabated parabolic runs, they need to correct themselves. It seems to be doing that right now. But guy, let me ask you this, okay? A lot of folks are going to listen to this conversation right here and just say, okay, the guys, they're finally starting to get it right a little bit after fighting it earlier in the spring here. And again, what we're highlighting is a frenzy. We're highlighting a bubble that's been inflated. And I think it's important to just like things as they overshoot to the upside, they have the potential to do so to the downside, but it's all starting to come together. And timing is obviously, when it comes to trading, a very important aspect of this, but it seems to be we're getting to a point where some of the overzealous participants in the market looking to cling to anything that could cause the narrative shift from that March period where things felt pretty dire, you have this liquidity that was injected in the regional banking crisis, it basically found its way into the biggest names in the stock market that we're clinging to this AI narrative. And it seems like on the back of Q2 earnings and Q3 guidance, it's coming undone a little bit. That's the main point, in my opinion.
0: That's exactly right. And we didn't even mention regional banks. I think there was a note out over the weekend talking about the potential for some unrest or some problems in that space to sort of rear its ugly head. And again, the Moody's note, the Fitch note, all these things make sense. You could say they're all late to the dance. That's probably true, but it doesn't mean they're wrong, number one. Number two, we've gone 20 minutes without mentioning the yield curve, which again, got out, two tens went out to about 105 basis points as we're sitting here now, we're probably sub 70 basis points. And Elizabeth talks about this all the time. Obviously, a, a, a yield curve inversion to the extent that we saw it is bad, but it's the re-steepening that concerns people. And we're seeing it happen right before our very eyes, not good for risk assets, And then the other thing, dollar yen continues to sort of dollar strengthens yen weakness, their bond market seemingly in a bit of turmoil. Japan is the largest holder of U.S. treasuries. Just keep that in mind as we go forward. So to think that what happens there is not going to affect what happens here, again, to use a word, is just foolish. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. SoFi, the all-in-one super app for banking, borrowing, and investing. Earn industry-leading APY, get great loan rates, and trade stocks. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A., NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC.
1: Over the weekend, guy, there was also an article in Bloomberg that I thought was interesting and probably uh, got your antennas up a little bit. The Fed is playing a waiting game trying to avoid a recession. Increasing number of economists are predicting the U.S. will escape a recession. The Fed, many of the governors have pulled a recession from their outlook, which just seems crazy to me. You use the expression all the time that the fact that the Fed thinks they can alchemy out. Isn't that what you say? The normal course of business cycles, it seems a little nuts. And right when you start seeing those headlines, isn't that exactly where you would expect recessionary pressures to start to pick up. You've been saying that you're going to see inflationary pressures pick up in the fall. A lot of it has to do with just math, the comparisons year over year, but you're also seeing what you were calling for a move back in crude. I, I don't know if you thought it would get this high when it was below 70. You thought you'd see a move back towards 80. That gas at the pump is gonna translate into something that's gonna put pressure back on consumers at a time where we've seen consumer credit, and you've been talking about this, go sky high north of a trillion here in the US at a time where the savings rate is getting depleted. And we also are seeing consumer readings, or at least consumer sentiment readings, kind of in a
0: bit. We haven't used the term witch's brew for quite some time, but I have said, and now seemingly more people are starting to write about this and talk about it. This reacceleration of inflation in the fall. Before you know it, we're going to be in the in the throes of the fall, and I think you're going to see a reacceleration. You saw a glimpse of it on Friday. With the PPI, number one, at the same time, I think the lag effect of, again, 525 basis points of hikes is going to start to kick in at that exact same time. That's really troublesome for the broader market. And again, I think people are starting to get their arms around that. And then coupled with the things that we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes, Japan, China, some of the geopolitical risks out there. It's very difficult, again, in my opinion, to paint a rosy picture for equities into the fall of this year.
1: This caught my attention too, and it goes hand in hand with that discussion about pushing out the recession. Goldman pencils in the first Fed rate cut for the second quarter of 2024, that's coming from Bloomberg here. Uh, Goldman economists anticipate the Federal Reserve to start lowering interest rates by the end of next June, with a gradual quarterly pace of reductions from that point. The cuts in our forecast driven by a desire to normalize the funds rate from a restricted level once inflation is closer to targets. Again, we've been talking about for months, all the things that have made the Fed's job that much more difficult as it relates to rates. And I go back a few months ago when Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan said, be prepared for rates much higher than you think. That was still when the Fed funds rate was below 5%. He was talking about six, 7% or so. And when you think about the restrictive rate, that term guy, right? So when you have that restriction on potential growth, when we started raising interest rates, when the Fed started to do it in March of 2022, a lot of folks thought that they would be Cutting rates by the end of 2022, and I think you made this point, and Danny's made this point. When the Fed starts cutting rates, it's not going to be 25 basis points. It's going to be 50 or 75, which is when they got in their sweet spot of raising in 2022 because they felt they were way behind the curve with inflation. And if they have to start cutting, it's not going to be to normalize and take a victory lap and say mission accomplished. It's going to be because things go pear-shaped a little bit. Going back to your witch's uh, brew preview if
0: you will is because something broke and now more people are starting to talk about a potential credit event without question and again at three and a half percent whatever we are in unemployment 3.6 percent sticky as hell the credit market's seemingly okay right now ask yourself the following question unless you think inflation is can continue to go lower And things are going to sort of, I guess, without any hiccups sort of normalize themselves. The only reason the Fed cuts in the beginning of next year or at any point, quite frankly, next year is because something broke. And if something's breaking, I think the last place you want to be is the equity market. But that's something we've been saying for quite some time, Dan.
1: Guy, this is one, and again, we're talking to some of the folks who think this is a little bit of an echo chamber here. I don't like to think that you and I echo each other or Danny, but we like to, I don't know, just call it the way we see it a little bit. And if we happen to agree, we agree here. This one is just fascinating to me. I want to talk about Tesla for a second, okay? And I know some of our listeners have gotten sick of this, but the stock is down today, three and a half percent. It's down from $300 right before its earnings that came out in mid-July here. So here we are at 234 down from 300 bucks. Again, the quarter was not good. The guidance on margins was not good. They have a pricing situation here. The, the news overnight is that they're cutting prices again in China on their Model Y. We know that the data in China has been deflationary. There is no way, okay, that if you are an automaker, okay, in that region, dependent on their sales there, their manufacturing there, their access to rare earth materials there. I saw that Elon is gonna be going to Indonesia in September or October to talk about access to rare earth materials, there is a deflationary spiral going on in China, and that is not good for the global economy. So that is ground zero for deflation. They've cut prices in China on Tesla's cars six times in six months there, okay? All of the competitors and they are losing market share, okay, in China right now. So much of their future growth is dependent on China. I just don't understand how this story makes any sense given the dependence on China guy. And so to me, the stock is filled in the gap from June. It was about 235 or so. And I really think you're going to see a $200 stock in the not so distant future. And again, why is this important Important because there's just so many narratives in and around the markets here. Valuation here, it's part like it's participation in the S and P 500 is one of the largest seven stocks that exist here. And I think this thing is going back to $200. Now I have been short. I was right in the spring. I was wrong as it blew out above 200, you know, 20 or something like that on its way to 300. I'm right again here. But to me, there's so much positive sentiment that's wrapped up in this story that I think has broader implications on a macro level, guys. So talk to me about further price cuts in China for a name like this, because there are knock-on effects as it relates to other US multinationals, in my opinion. And
0: this stock just seems to encapsulate a lot of them. So if you're cutting prices, your margins are gonna obviously be hurt. So what you hope obviously is the price cuts will create a volume event where it offsets or more than offsets the margin loss. And I think that's part of the game. Quite frankly, though, I think there's a demand problem as well. And I think part of the reason they're cutting prices is because exactly that. So lack of demand, margin compression, that's not a good thing. And obviously, I think we saw Tesla last quarter, the margins were, I think, 17%-ish, maybe a tad higher, but obviously much lower than where we saw in the fall of last year, number one. Number two, I think it's important to point out that the stock Tesla is still down at $235. It's probably about 43% lower than its all-time high, despite the move we've seen from basically 108 from January of this year to your point up to almost $300 a month or so ago. Number two, that's important because we're still talking about a stock that's down almost 50% from its all-time high. And the levels you mentioned are spot on. I think the high in February of this year was about 208. We subsequently topped out there again in March. We had a leg lower into April before we took this next leg higher. So I think your levels are spot on. And I think that's how you trade the stock. So it's important to point out that despite the move and despite everybody thinking that Tesla is fixed, there's still issues there. And price cuts, unless you get the commensurate demand, that's a problem, Dan.
1: Here's one. This is a bit of a hard turn, Guy, but this is right up your alley here. And I think this is a bit of a baller move, okay? U.S. Steel is up 25% today. A Cleveland Cliffs announced Sunday that it made an offer valuing the U.S. Steel Company at $7.3 billion based on a seventeen fifty dollars close. It's trading right now at 28 bucks here. So that would value the stock, again, near 35 bucks or so. Kind of a baller move to outright reject the offer and say they are exploring strategic opportunities, they're basically saying, okay, we might sell we're not selling at 35 bucks here thoughts on this what does it mean in this sector in particular because these stocks were really trading up earlier in the year off of the china reopening trade we've seen that kind of undone we spent some time talking about what we think is going on there but when you see this sort of activity and then i guess i would call it the brazenness of u.s steel to basically outright reject the offer and cleveland cliffs guy was looking to do this without any due diligence which i think is interesting so are we about to see a wave of M&A right now. We're seeing headwinds, in in our opinion, to growth right now. You generally don't see these sorts of deals at bottoms. You see them more towards relative
0: top. It's a fascinating deal because of all the things we just talked about, the slowdown in China, obviously China being a growth engine for the world. It doesn't really make sense that a resource company would bid for another resource company just on the surface. But then you start to ask yourself, wait a second, what's going on here? There's obviously other growth areas on the planet, not least of which is India, obviously parts of Asia, the continent of Africa. There's a lot going on. And there are resources there that I think Cleveland Cliffs feel they can integrate and operate better. US Steel, by the way, the stock has been a brutal stock since, I don't know, probably January of 2009, the stock has moved sideways to slightly lower. You go back 13 years, and this was basically a $29 stock. They haven't done a whole hell of a lot. So I think operationally, they haven't been the best. And to your point, brazen or ballsy, whatever word you use, that's exactly right. And maybe they think they have alternatives. But quite frankly, you know, they find themselves in a situation where they need to start operating better or things like this will happen. I don't know if they can go private. I don't know if there's another suitor out there. But obviously, to your point, the sector is in play. And that speaks to, again, this, in my opinion, a potential reacceleration of inflation in resources and energy on the flip side, this sort of deflationary pressures of obviously what technology brings forth and the slowdown in China. There's so many cross-currents here.
1: Let's quickly talk about earnings this week here because there's a bunch of retailers. Home Depot, Tuesday before the opening. I think that'll be interesting. We also have TJX. That is Wednesday morning pre-opening along with Target. Walmart is Thursday pre-opening. Guy, talk to us a little bit about what we think we're going to hear about consumer. 2022, I think a lot of these big box names they were talking about, inflationary pressures. They were talking about a trade down by consumers, right? There was massive inventory issues as we were coming out of the pandemic. Walmart is trading at an all-time high, guy, okay? And it's amazing to see the juxtaposition between Target, which can't get out of its own way. It seems like Walmart has found its way, if you will. What do you expect, I think, broadly to hear out of retailers? Or do you think it's going to be a case-by-case situation? Because like a TJX is, is what, what do they call it, an off-price sort of retailer. They seem to benefit at different times when... like. Like when we have a rip-roaring economy, they might not be doing as well as something in a sluggish environment. What are we going to hear out of some of these big box names and some of these retailers?
0: You will hear resiliency of the consumer. You're also going to start hearing about the trade down of the consumer. Walmart, I think, is going to speak to the strength in their grocery business. will help them on the margin side of things. Last week, I think it was Jeffries, I'm, if I'm mistaken, I apologize, but you saw Ahead of earnings, an analyst upgrade the stock, $191 price target on it. Valuation in Walmart is stretched to 25 times, but historically has been stretched. But to answer your question specifically, they will talk about the resiliency of the U.S. consumer, notwithstanding the fact that consumer is trading down. They've gotten their inventory situation in line. But of course, the problem is resiliency is one thing. You mentioned it. Consumer credit card debt now is north of a trillion dollars. If you have some event, and we've seen it before, consumer spending stops on a dime. So I say it all the time. It's not their want to spend money, the U.S. consumer. It's their ability to spend money. And I don't necessarily think we're in a situation now where they should be spending to the levels that we're seeing. The problem, of course, is, and I said this on Fast Money last week, I'll mention it again here. The U.S. consumer is fighting the inflation problem with adding to their debt load. And historically, that does not work out well.
1: Yeah, one one last name I think is really important is Applied Materials AMAT Thursday after the close. And this stock benefited from a lot of what we heard about CapEx spending. It started with Taiwan Semi, despite their outlook being disappointing last month. There was a lot of talk about CapEx and that's good for the equipment makers here. It'll be interesting to see what they ultimately guide to. The stocks come off a little bit. So that one is definitely on my radar. I just feel like some of these kind of bubble trades are coming undone. On this Tesla, I really do think if you said to me at 235, 200 or 270, I think 200 is the next move. And if NVIDIA can't guide up, guy, if it's just in line to that previous guidance, and this is next week, I think the semi-trade comes undone because that SMH, that is the textbook double top going back to 2021. So again, this is going to be interesting to see in what could be a very low volume next couple of weeks into Labor Day or so. So stay tuned, people. All right, guy, on our 200th episode of on the tape we got a big week this week so i appreciate you being with me early monday to go go through what we're seeing for the week and kind of highlight some of the the kind of big themes that we are most focused on here bud
0: here's to the next 200 it's fitting it's just the two of us today elizabeth will be back next monday i'm sure but there's a lot to watch here so despite the fact that we're in the middle of august and historically a quiet period i think it's anything but dan nathan all right we'll check you later this week thanks for being with us guys Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, FactSet, and SoFi.